0: Okay, Sheepdog Rest Stop here with Hunter Hanky, and Courtney Taylor in <laughs> yeah. Pony, Montana, on our way to, on
1: our way to Bozeman, Bozeman
0: <laughs> for dinner.
1: And hot springs. And, uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wanted to start off with a historical fiction from one of Hunter's favorite authors. And he was just getting into the Roman conquest of the Gauls. So that'd be uh, early France, around, I think around 33 BC or the time of Caesar. All right, take it
2: away. So, yeah, the, it's a historical fiction. So the main character is a character named Einbar, and it starts from, like, when he's pretty young and kind of, like, goes through. His, his early life and into his initiation into like the druidic order um
0: oh I car think you have money. car saying something you could t- turn it, was it off me.
1: It was, it oh it's the seatbelt again was, yeah. was. I was going to tell you to put Siri on mute so I didn't disrupt the group okay <laughs> oh. <laughs> and my seatbelt did it for me
2: Alright, music's on mute too. Sweet. I guess start again if you like. So, yeah, it follows the uh, main character's life into his initiation into the Druidic Order. Uh-huh. And a lot of the book is kind of paints a picture of like what, what that order looked like at that time of, you know, among the Celtic peoples, which is beyond Gaul like geographically France right now, but the Celtic people were, you know, all, all up into Britain and Ireland even, and they're all like you know have different cultural, um, different practices, but they all see themselves as like one people, though they may be different tribes, mm-hmm. and certainly different from the Romans. They they, they are different than we are.
0: Right. So there was a clear distinction between their in-group and the outgrowth of Rome. Yes.
2: Yeah. So another um, main character of the book, which is actually a a historical figure, his name was Verking Gatorix. And he was at the time, he was the chief of one of the Gallic tribes, arguably one of the strongest. And um, he and the main character, Einvar, like... They are both initiated into manhood together, like in the same ceremony. And so they just like form this friendship over time, even though they're from separate uh, tribes. Um, so they have this like connection and this really strong friendship, but it progresses that, you know, Roman influence is becoming more and more of a thing in Gaul. And it kind of starts with just traders, you know, and at first everyone's like, oh, great. It's like, you know, Mediterranean wine and olive oil, like, this is great. And, you know, a lot of tribes just really buddy up with these Roman traders and they they move into the tribes, you know, and live there. And they're just doing their business there. But there's a real difference in, like, their, their values and their how they conduct themselves and I guess, like, you know, their code of ethics, like, compared to the Celtic people, um, you know, and it's the author's, you know, the author's opinion and writing style that, like, um, you know, the Celts, like, everyone has their flaws and things, but there was a certain, like, code of conduct, mm-hmm. you know, that the tribes would all, it was just a way of life that they were always warring against one another. But it was just kind of a given, like reality, and everyone knew that it was necessary for <laughs> um, for breeding. You know, they would take, you know, the the um, conquered tribe. They would their women would be taken, and for a time they would be, you know, kept as slaves. But they were always still. That's the funny kind of like paradoxes. They were still seen as free kills, like free. <laughs> a free Gallic person, and over time they would just be married into the tribe that took them, and so it was a way to keep like um keep breeding you know, from like inbreeding things like that, keep things like flowing through the tribes, but they um yeah, they over time in the book, they just really are seeing that like the Romans don't of like so they actually do keep slaves, like overtly uh-huh. and that's something that's really weird to all the people of Gaul. And it just progresses to the point where the, the character Vercingetorix he is getting wise to Caesar and the Romans. He's like, I see what they're trying to do. They're tra- they're not. This is not just boring uh, conduct. This isn't just what we do fighting against one another like we've been doing. They're trying to take over our entire way of life. They're trying to end our druids. They're trying to like end our life way, essentially. They're trying to take us over. And he's kind of like the... He's like the French William Wallace at the time. He's like, unite the clans. Like, we need to not be fighting each other because we have a common enemy over here and they're coming and they were... And it's just like, you know, a progression of years. Mm-hmm. Things move a lot slower back at that time, obviously. But, um, yeah, the main character is um, actually like a sense to like the chief druid of all of the tribes of Gaul. And he's like the one of Virkin main advisors, in, like war advisors. So it actually goes through, historical battles that actually took place and, um, like, different sieges of different uh, places they were holding, and, um, yeah, in the end, you know, they don't make it. <laughs> but that's what actually happened. And, um, but actually the character Einbar and, uh, a small group of his tribe actually do escape and, like, flee into the woods and, are able to survive over years. But uh yeah, there's a sequel to that called The Greener Shore and that it's like it's actually they they actually find after all of that and years later they actually migrate to Ireland, they, like find a boat. And um they're pretty much just trying to go as far away from Roman influence as they can. And at first they end up in England, but they see square houses, like square buildings. And they're like, no, no, fuck this, like we gotta keep going because <laughs> it's
1: the Romans have already been there. Yeah.
2: Uh. but they make yeah, they make it to Ireland and it was not. There was still, you know, free Celts there. Uh, can you make a distinction between Celts and Gauls? Well the Cel yeah, that's like the the Celtic people, I guess you could have trace it back to a common you know, a common start or lineage. Whereas, like, the Gallic tribes were just, like, a, specific a section region. of those, like, yeah. just of France. So, they're... There was um, France
1: and, and, and kind of, like, overlapping into what's now Germany. So, it's, yeah. like, France and Germany. Yeah.
2: And uh, Britain and Ireland. Yeah, because there weren't were those all, borders then. Yeah. It's, I mean, in the books, they kind of, the defining factors seem to be <laughs> having Druids as a class yeah. in their society, which is also really interesting because... Um, they didn't, that was their job, to just provide their skills and gifts with the tribe. And they were pretty much like intellect. the intellectuals um, of Druids were the intellectuals, not the priestly class, or it's... Yeah, yeah, so, they you, were both. you know, yeah. yes, they, you might call them priests, but it was a different... They were like the wargs. Yeah, it was a different, um, I guess, like, cosmology, worldview, spiritual view. Yeah. They were pretty much the... Uh, there's like portions in the book where they're kind of the keepers of the gate between like the like life and death or this world and the other world. Uh-huh. And so a shaman, it's all kind of the same idea. So they didn't They didn't work. They didn't do manual labor. They had, you know, they were given food. And like I really respected and that was the other... interesting thing is that they um, in between different tribes of Gauls and Celts as a whole like the druids were um, immune to any struggles or like um, conflicts so if if a druid from another tribe is traveling through or coming as a messenger for any reason they were always given like really great hospitality and uh, really respected, even though they're from a different tribe. Even maybe they're from a different tribe that you're currently at war
1: with. Yeah,
2: doesn't matter because they're a druid. They're everyone, and your druids would be respected there. And I'm were just, druids uh, peacekeepers and neutral, or trying? Not, to
0: not all advance? the time.
2: No, not all the time. They sometimes they, they took sides. Yeah. Well, they would take sides with their uh, with their tribe, obviously, but. A lot of times, there there were sacrifices. If they took prisoners, sometimes there was this one point in in the first book, Druids, where they um, they had taken prisoners in of war, you know, in in a battle, and um, yeah, they like offered them as a sacrifice, like in fire, just as an appeasement to the other world. So, and but both of the tribes ultimately, eventually just were kind of at peace with that because they were like oh well it was an offering like as for the greater good they all had the same belief system in that way like yeah. and that was that the druids actually were in contact with the other world and you know kind of like knew what was best on that part
0: so what? what's interesting about this series of books the themes or the metaphors why do you why is it high on your list
2: well I mean, I'm not really doing it justice right now, but I just really... I really resonated with, like... Yeah, kind of, like, the spiritual views of... That are painted, you know, from a Druid's perspective. Like, a, a view of what death is, what life is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what... I guess what it was like to live in that time. But also just that you know there's um i mean are we not the roman empire still <laughs> it's like i kind oh, yeah. of i see yeah, a lot yeah. of similar similarities <laughs> in that in that way and kind and of English. like and irreverence oh, no. that was the main theme of the book is like how irreverent the romans were to nature and that was a bit like the, the druidical worldview was all egocentric it was all based in nature they had they're, they had their sacred groves. So these were like their places of practice and worship where each tribe had like a sacred grove of trees, like an old growth forest where they would do ceremonies and rituals and offerings. And the Romans saw this and knew that they were really like sacred and special to these tribes and they just like went and burned them. They, it was like a war tactic. They just, they did not have like has a reverence for nature in the way that these other tribes did in the book a historical fiction (laughs) right
1: yeah i read that book when i was 16 and like i was telling maddie earlier um it like that and obviously fictional works lord of the rings like the tolkien books they those things instructed my sense of um cultural identity Uh more than anything else and that was when I was 16 so I was maturing and I was like I was still in my formative years like especially spiritually like as a teenager and that for me like I felt this like super strong connection with my ancestors and it kind of like gave me a guiding light in life of kind of like how to be in the world and like what my value system is like genetically because I feel like there is a genetic component to our values sure and another thing that was just about these books Um, about kind of playing out the history of these peoples is this uh, just basically that there are, you know, certain, certain cultures, certain groups of people who just are living in accordance with their value systems. And they're living with each other. They're living with other people who share their values and they're doing this. And it's actually a really functional, harmonious society. And then another group of people will come in and try to impose their values onto this group that has very different values than them they'll, right. they'll try to take it over by force rather than just saying hey we're going to live over here with our values you can live over here with your values and we're cool like let's separate let's like be separate and just showing that so much of history is just one group of people imposing their values on other groups of people and how it might not be like because everyone thinks they're right when really it's just we're all different and maybe we should History is very interesting, and especially the ways it just repeats itself.
0: So, one of the challenges, though, is that the, the tribes weren't all getting along. You may have shared values, but you had Celts and Gauls, and yeah. tribes were still fighting each other. And similar I mean, to the Native American tribes. Right. They didn't, it right. wasn't a yeah. ideal utopia yeah. as well. And so, when an outside force comes in, I mean, uh, I violence yeah. is. Government is a proxy for violence violence is always on the table people can always uh, kill others for access to resources Um, and typically though to have markets where you can trade goods and services has changed that so what I'm seeing it's interesting about obviously Rome didn't have it particularly right they were in expansion phases. Uh, they were kind of like a military expansion. They had to keep expanding to take over more lands so that they could get more tithes, so they acquire more gold, so they could feed the whole empire, you know. But they also had a large aqueduct system. They had a, a kind of a, what was a senate and a house, a version of, of lords. They had certain practices that were working pretty, pretty well for a republic, certainly for martial having a martial law and that type of force building roads i mean there's roads that are still from then that are in good condition that were built from rome um, Yeah. what what i can feel and sense that you're talking about is a huge erasure of culture and history and yeah. understanding of our our ancestors because there was an aspect of polluting our way of being calling it pagan uh, trying to take it over with Christianity a false you know narrative or true for some but yeah Yeah. and uh, obviously the Celts the Germans the Gauls that we did better uh, inventions of how to govern that's where truth before face or before gain became important tort law came through our people uh, don't impose costs on others basics of natural law yeah. is what all the northern Europeans then were able to expand from yeah. so there is a lesson that kind of comes out of not just atrocities oppressions uh, trying to take over people and that we have to we have to make sure that not only are we in tune
2: with nature but we're able to defend and protect ourselves from others
1: definitely
2: well that yeah. was that was a main point in History and the book is like, you know, she's describing the difference between like an average Celtic warrior and an, an average Roman soldier. Bodily, strength-wise, might-wise, a Celt would could just destroy a Roman. They're they were smaller. The Romans are smaller. Yes, they, sure. they were like the Celts were bigger, stronger, like kind of crazier, Bastard, they crazier, were just or like, or they would just go berserk, but or... the Romans won because they were yeah. such good soldiers, they yeah, were they
1: organized, they were
2: very together. organized, they had the entire military aspect down, whereas the Celts were the all of the tribes, like, if they had been more organized and more strategized, and if they had li- if they didn't have so much bickering within themselves, yeah. you, know, so, you know, sounds like, just like Braveheart, just like that whole, the whole Scottish yeah.
0: thing, like, it sounds like uh, if you go through the generations of warfare first generation second third I don't I don't know if I can itemize them all now but fourth generation warfare which we're at right now is basically like the United States and all of our Middle East campaigns that uh, quote terrorists or whatever will be hiding out in the city they don't meet them any on any ground for any you can also fourth generation started in Vietnam so you had, enemy combatants amongst the people and they would just scatter about so you don't have any kind of target Um, so the challenges are of learning these generations of warfare and it sounds like we're going back to its all against all but in a scenario where you had tribes and you had an organized uh, it just didn't work well for the the tribal guys versus an organized martial uh, Roman army
2: yeah it really it actually there was a picture it was a meme okay. I saw a while back that was at, like really to this point it's just really thought provoking for me it's like a it was like a spruce branch a small section of a spruce branch you know just cut from a tree sure and um and there was another one but all of the little needles and the sticks were all removed and so there was the, the, the spruce branch, and lined up in rows okay. and categorized, and the spruce branch said chaos as it was presented on the tree, um, and everything dismantled and destroyed and put in a neat order was order. Uh-huh,
0: sure. And so it's like
2: this paradox, like that was the Roman view, it was like, well, they're destroying whatever, Right. destroying a, a lot, mile, but... Left at the fork. You know, that's... But they I mean. were able to impose or force
0: their will on others, and that's a big deal. Like, yeah. I get where that you're that saying... was the biggest deal. I do not want to have your will imposed on me, but then it comes down to, and who's going to stop you? Exactly. kind yeah. of
1: thing. left to stay on i did. They, they the, did it they could. That was
2: the plight of the of the novel, was that effort by Virgen To He saw the big picture. Yeah. And he actually Continue mentally was a contender for, for Caesar, like, and Caesar saw that. But he didn't have... He didn't have the time, the resources, or the diplomacy to really create that structure quickly enough for it to matter. Because they had practiced and, it over a long period out. of
1: time. It was like this this uh, thing that... It is, was a new they notion. They
2: together. They were the like, order. wait, what? You want us to get he along unites. with the Carnutes? Oh, no, no, no. We have a feud going back a yeah, long time. So they, like, they were you know, kind of I'm not fighting against petty, them. These petty right. It was all battles. stupid little stuff where the... The Romans were like, oh, we're soldiers. We take orders. Yeah. Or right. We do whatever whatever Caesar says. Like, yeah. And the Romans were also... The Romans were not just uh, soldiers. They were builders. They were... Like, they did everything. They had a kit with them to do. They carried saws with them. They carried shovels with them. They carried, like, picks with them. They yeah. could create a fortress. They could create a barricade. They could do all kinds of building stuff sure. where... The Celts were like, me swing sword, you yeah, know, right. me, me go slash. Like, that's yeah. that's all they could really, like, do.
1: Well, besides the Druids, who were very intellectual and very deep thinkers.
2: So how do we apply this to today?
0: Because we, we're going to find ourselves in another situation where there could be organized forces and disorganized forces. How can we develop a degree of coherence and understanding Uh, To to break this through. I'm not saying what direction, but if it does have a 4GW, it'd be all against all. Meaning, if you're in a high highly migrant diverse community, it could be the tribes of people attacking people, like it it could go that way you could have police forces are totally outmanned Uh, services can't do anything Um, and then you could get to other areas where it's highly demographically the same and maybe they figure out to just defend our borders and protect themselves so maybe there's some application and I think that's what I'm reaching for is what what do you learn from this aside from uh, getting a, a transfer of the generational transfer of the knowledge that may have been missing out or spirituality, the ethics morality, things like oh yeah this is what my people are like but we don't want to meet again. How do we then take what we know from here and kind of convince the, the middle of America that this is a good pathway?
1: Well, one, th- one thing that I see is that, you know, our ancestors, we're, we're a, a, a sum total of the conquered and the conquerors. So we can, like, gen- like we're descendants of the Romans too. We're, because they conquered the Celts and bred with them Uh So we're we're the descendants of both of the well the strengths and the weaknesses. But I feel like maybe we could kind of um, combine the strengths of like for example the Celtic people and the Romans. We can combine both their strengths and kind of um, morph it into a new way of being because that's what that's what um, you know that's what the the general generational line is supposed to do. It's supposed to combine. Combine the wisdom of the forebears and take it forward and make it into something more complex and more wise. Uh, so I feel like maybe instead of demonizing one side of things, one part of history, and kind of um, exalting the other, which is almost not seen clearly too, because they all had their faults and well, they all had their strengths. Also,
0: note do like one side was totally the victim and the other side was yeah, the perpetrator.
1: Yeah, no, it's actually we're the descendants of both, so we yeah. can we can like appreciate the strengths of both of them and. Kind of maybe bring forwards like the Celtic appreciation of the natural the the natural order of things and living in a kind of eco centric way where we respect and honor the earth and we live in harmony with the earth. But at the same time,
0: but that creating, martial and duty and yeah, able to organize and be able united. To have
1: the the self-discipline of the Romans, like they were ex- highly disciplined for uh, they almost like they you know they served a larger something larger and greater than themselves. And they see that they're like, I'm not living for my, my own like, my own little life right now. I'm living for this larger idea that I believe in. Right. So being able to organize your life in a way that's like also looking long-term instead of just focusing more on the immediate needs, being able to organize your life long-term. And one way, you know, we could translate that is starting with our own, you know, immediate family and homestead type mm-hmm. situation Really think about like prepare, organize, and prepare our own lives so that we're ready for as as ready as we can for anything that might happen. Be prepared. Yeah, I definitely to, and also like kind of taking the tribal aspects of the the Celtic tribes and realizing that you know indigenous people, like whether it was an indigenous anyone, Europeans, any any other place in the world, because we were all indigenous people at one point. They survived in tribes they didn't survive by themselves so knowing people who are like minded who have similar who have the same value system is like was essential for their survival back then and you know everything's different now because everything's way more spread out everything's like communication is long distance now like you don't have to just always band together with your neighbors you can actually communicate like long distance with people all over the world who you share interests with so it's, it looks a little bit different now, but I still think the you know the value of like-minded folk um, uh-huh. is yeah as as great as it's ever been. Especially if something happens and you really need support in some way, well, or they need gotta, support.
2: You gotta know your tribe and know your enemy.
1: And yeah, know both. studying yeah studying the enemy and like find just uh, creating like functional bonds with you know tribal members or people yeah those who your friends basically
0: you said you had some good connection with uh primitive skills like uh classes or retreats yeah
2: we're gathering into that whole world you
0: know yeah
2: we've done a lot of outdoors things throughout my life but kind of on this level of actual you know bushcrafting nature immersion it's like there's a lot to learn there's a lot for everyone to learn you know like in Tua, a lot of people say that 309 <laughs> for us 191 south people that are really immersed in that world and know a lot of animal uh, edible plants and do a lot of hunting and fishing and whatever you know how to process animals, even animals, even all, that. all yeah. of that like the, a lot of them will tell you you know comparatively like in a native system like if you were to put like a native grade system i might be in like second grade in my knowledge of yeah. like an actual ability to, you grow up to survive this. by myself, like yeah, yeah, uh... yeah. But the best of both worlds is that you do
0: that, and then you do range shooting and target, and exactly you We learn archery,
1: <laughs> and we get <laughs> Andy yeah, shoot sure. guns. <laughs> yeah, you get good at both <laughs> because both of them are available and accessible at this point, and both of them can be useful in different situations. Right. So like kind of broadening and making our skills more well-rounded and utilizing. Modern and primitive
0: methods. Yeah, that sounds good. I think there's a challenge with, you know, middle America being fat and, and uh, gluttonous and
1: Definitely. highly
0: consumptive. They're Definitely. not ready for anything. They're not ready for
1: anything. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. they don't know
2: the, the plants that they are in their plants. lawn. They just they call them not. weeds. They call them weeds and they,
1: they spray poison on them. Right. They've convinced the people that the medicine are the weeds that yeah. they need to be poisoned. Yeah, exactly. So they're they're completely just wasting something that's be, that's freely available right there, and then instead they're just they just, just seek things that are from far off the and from the right very yeah, um, right in the cork. unreliable and possibly suspe- suspect sources. Like, yeah, their medicine Keep is right like <laughs> right. pharmaceuticals from big pharmaceutical companies who don't seem to have anyone's best interest in mind except their own.
0: All right, well, let's pause this for a second.
1: Yeah, so we can drive.
0: Cool. So I think one of the things we should catch up on is um, just a brief background so that people know what your field of skill and skill sets are. Courtney, you want to tell people a little bit about who you are, yeah, where you come from, sure.
1: um, yeah. what you
0: good
1: at. I'm Courtney. I have a really kind of um, unconventional background. I was homeschooled as a kid. Um, my family was really unconventional. I was raised to um, really pursue my interests rather than being plugged into a formulaic school system. So that's kind of, I've been kind of going in unconventional directions just throughout my life, um, and for the past, let's see, the years, 2019, probably, wow, the past like almost 20 years, um, I'm 38 right now, or almost 38, I've been really interested in, like, self-sufficient natural lifestyle, um, like oh I guess we didn't talk about this in the other video but I I did live in Hawaii for a year um like a long time ago like 15 years ago and that was kind of my first experience in like more kind of living off the land lived there for a year and pretty much lived outside did a lot like built my own we built our own like home site at the time um like jungle style um that's when I really got into foraging like I'm had a lot of interest in uh like wild food foraging in a lot of different locales. I've kind of been in, lived in like four different areas where I've very actively foraged. So I've kind of gotten a very like, very diverse education on the different plants in different environments. I've, I've been teaching um, foraging and wild foods for I think the past, six to eight years. I've taught that, taught that in Texas and California. Um, yeah, lived in California for four years, grew up in Texas. I'll just say that, yeah. I spent most of my life in North Texas. We just spent four years in California and just moved last year and we've been, um, we're kind of in a position where we're feeling very self-sufficient we don't feel very we don't feel dependent on a lot of the system structures that most people like kind of rely on like the whole rental market the whole like yeah the whole renting houses thing is something that we try to stay away from so one thing we ended up doing after we left california since we didn't have a clear idea of where we wanted to go next we didn't want to jump into the next thing like rush into something that was maybe not ideal for us and would kind of prematurely drain our savings and drain kind of money that we've built up over time what we end up doing instead is um we we built our own um tiny travel trailer from scratch or from a frame that we bought we bought a frame we built everything on top of that it's kind of like i guess it's kind of based on the teardrop trailer um structure of like tiny trailers but we built it way different, way more practical. It's really hardy. It has like truck bed liner as the paid job on the outside. So it's like way more waterproof than than a lot of these like aluminum frame trailers. So the, I mean, the main reason we did that, we've kind of been, I mean, since then, we've been kind of traveling around in that for a little while, being a little bit nomadic, going to places of interest for certain reasons um, to attend certain events and explore certain environments, um, and, and kind of explore what we want to do next. Um, You've
0: been practical in your deciding your lifestyle as it unfolds. You yeah. knew it wasn't California.
1: Yeah. We, yeah, we realized after, especially growing up in Texas, like we have a lot of like a value system that's, um, aligns a lot more with Texas values than California. And we didn't totally realize that about California until we,
2: lived there for a few years. So, Hunter, what's
0: your background?
2: Well, I mean, you know, I kind of had a pretty normal childhood growing up. Went to public school. Um,
0: Amarillo area, right?
2: Yeah, in the Panhandle of Texas. Um, I did my last year of high school in the Dallas area, Fort Worth area, um, and I actually just decided to, like, do a bunch of extra credit and, like, summer school and stuff so that I could get out a year early, because at that point I was just pretty clear of, like, not having a good time there, and, um, yeah, I mean, I went to college a little bit, but, you know, that also wasn't really, like, striking me as something very important to do with my life. Um, yeah, I mean... Lately, my focus has really just been on like um, learning as many skills as I can, um, doing, as, you know, doing as many things for myself as I can by my own hand, um, yeah. you know, and just... Uh, you recently made your own shoes, you made your own yeah, yeah, knife. Yeah, I'm exploring <laughs> right <laughs> now in, um, yeah. craftsmanship. You know, I would not necessarily call myself a craftsman at this point, but I'm very interested in... Perhaps one day when I'm much older, uh, feeling comfortable with calling myself a craftsman, mm-hmm. making things. Making things with my hands. Um, really love, you know, camping a lot. I love traveling around and um, yeah, I was telling you Brian last night like one of my main goals is to build a sustainable house to die in. So one of my life goals to To live the death in goal. until you yeah. die, yes. yeah. I'd like to be comfortable when I die in yeah. my own
1: home that I built yeah. by my
2: own hands. Long term goal. See that's a long if you it have is. a goal that
1: includes your own death, yeah. you got the the ultimate long term <laughs> oh, yeah. goal. Yeah. And to some people that might sound like a morbid thing, like including your death and your goal, but most people don't even think about their death. They don't mm-hmm. think about how they want to die. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit like maybe like putting on some blinders like it like denying the inevitable in a way, like or just pushing it out of their thoughts until it's right in front of their face and they have to like deal with it real quick. <laughs> well,
2: I've so, had a number of pretty gnarly near-death experiences, so wow. it's like. So you've already been faced I, with that. Yeah, something I. Do so a peaceful home. death at
0: home is yeah. Way, yeah. way way better. better.
2: Yeah. That's my goal. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, Andrew has a like. A very mechanical very like methodical mind he can learn stuff super quick like he has been doing all of our car repairs since we first got this car he just like fixed it up like in a huge way did mm-hmm. all these super deep repairs that would be really expensive if you had someone do them like you know the two thousand dollar repairs sure. like the super probably deep engine we repairs around $10, we probably saved about ten thousand dollars by can, him can doing get another hundred
0: thousand miles of life or more yeah man. exactly
1: it's prolonging the life yeah of the i want car to take it cars. to at least
2: like at least three hundred thousand miles before i call it dead so, one of the
0: things that I like about you two as a couple, one is being very complimentary in your outlook and life and skill set, you, like you can compliment each other. Um, what I'd like you to share with the audience is kind of a bit of moving forward of what you're going to build together, um, but also if you could give some advice for maybe younger couples that are going to go out on their own, maybe they're going to build their own travel trailer. Um, things like that what are what are some just good advice sage advice of being in the field and actually doing it would you encourage them to figure out
2: right I would say travel early that's what I'm learning right now is you know I didn't really start like traveling till I was like 24 and I feel like I was late to that game you know it's like I've seen so much of you know the Western U.S. in the past few years, and it really uh, helps to inform you, of, you know, what's actually out there. Definitely. And you kind of get stuck, yeah. stuck in your job and your rental and your place, and that's your life and that's where you live. It's like, what? Yeah.
0: What do you think they need? Some might be scared, like, well, I'm going to need ten grand for that. Or well, like need...
1: everyone in his hometown grew up with, they're I all drove, afraid to leave.
2: Yeah. We <laughs> drove from Texas to California with like
1: with nobody basically bucks, like 200 guys and it just wow. and down. we made it, <laughs> we made yeah. it. And, then, yeah, we, and once
2: we got there a
1: a opportunities unfolded <laughs> yeah
2: um, we just had to rough it for a bit you know you have to kind of have faith in not do anything stupid yeah you know I, I think if everything that we did and where we went was calculated yeah. Calcul- risks yeah. Yeah. Sure. exactly but you have you know
1: that's life you got gotta to take some risk risks to like get ahead also realizing that that things are generally like way more scary in your head than they actually are when you go out and do them like there's this big you build this thing up because it's unfamiliar because you've never done this certain thing you kind of build it up into being this like uh, like hurdle that you can't jump across but it actually is a really simple thing that if you do one step at a time and put one foot in front of the other it's actually not a big deal it's just like you know other places if you travel like other places are you know marginally different than wherever you are right now and there's going to be a lot of differences but you're going to operate the same there it's not really a scary thing it just seems scary to the mind that's um that's not used to that or that's kind of stuck in a but i think Getting yourself out of ruts, I think that's a really good thing. And I totally agree with what Hunter said about traveling when you're young. I actually did do that because kind of like my homeschooling, like upbringing, sort of afforded me more opportunities to travel. Like I did a lot of, I mean, I did a lot of solo trips to different parts of the country for various gatherings and to visit um, various friends before most... Most uh, young people would have graduated high school. So I Is did that, a lot of that
0: sharpened your skills? You've done these uh, gatherings?
1: Um, sharpened what? what they your, weren't really, they, I mean, they weren't really... Um, I don't
0: know if they're music festivals or they're the primitive they were, skills.
1: Or, I mean, some of them were kind of like groups of like other homeschoolers where we would meet like in the woods and we'd share skills. Like, oh, right. And it was like a wide range of skills. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily earth skills. But it was just like anything that these people. It was very like a collaborative type type um, gatherings, and that those were actually really formative for me, and really kind of inspired what I've done since then. And having that those early initial travel experiences like definitely gave me a taste for traveling, and that was in the early days of the internet too, where I was making a lot of connections online um, for pe- like people all across the country, like developing friendships, and then going and actually visiting them in person I spent like three weeks in New York City when I was 18 um,
0: and this all came mainly from homeschool yeah. homeschooling
1: that ne- uh, like homeschool network. networking yeah okay. Right. it's like meeting other homeschoolers who also kind of lived in sort of unique ways and so I could
0: see sheepdogs homeschoolers yeah preppers, yeah,
1: yeah definitely primitive skills mm-hmm. yeah all, there's of some that. Overlap.
0: all of that <clears throat> like
1: and, what we're doing right now yeah exactly so this is this the new and and this is kind of a common thing now where people travel across the country and and meet people they've you know maybe not spent much time with in person but i was doing that back you know 20 years ago when i was like kind of in my developmental years and that gave me a taste for traveling and a taste for exploring other areas and really expanding my mind the good thing about doing that when you're young is i think the your youth is the best time to get a taste of what's out there so you can really refine your own values and your own goals and then you can get a sense of what you actually want in life at a much younger age instead of being stuck in this thing for most of your life and then suddenly you have a midlife crisis and you want to go see the world because (laughs) you you never did when you were young or you want to go be in a bunch of relationships you got to do all that when you're young and then you find what you want and then you kind of settle into something
2: Yeah, you really don't know what you don't know yeah Yeah, don't know what you don't know. It helps a lot to venture out. (laughs) Yeah. At least get a little more of a picture.
1: Definitely. And that's one reason we're kind of still in a, you know, exploring and like letting ourselves be in a bit of a nomadic traveling state right now, like with our travel trailer, Um, because we are not totally set on where we would like to settle. So we don't want to prematurely settle somewhere. Um, before we're really sure, we want to we want to spend time there, because sure. I'd I'd much rather like wait longer and explore longer and like resist the urge to like root down somewhere until until I get a really strong sense of something. Because sometimes you can get a first impression of a place and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I could live here. But then you spend more time there and and then you kind of realize that oh actually this oh it's the underbelly of this place is coming out. I don't really like it or. Um, seeing these deeper things that that maybe weren't apparent initially when you got to that place and then you never know this other place that you might not have even considered you might go there and be like oh wow this really feels like home and um and yeah we're in montana right now this is really the first time we've spent much time in montana and um it's like we're really vibing with it actually more than any place we've been yet (laughs) so whatever that means we definitely want to eventually find a place to settle, like Hunter said, build a place to, yeah, settle somewhere and build a place to live in for our entire lives, live out our entire lives there. But we want to make sure that's the right place and we don't want to jump into something and be desperate just because we feel like we have like comfort needs. We want to really like kind of save ourselves in a way, like save ourselves for the right thing.
0: Sounds good. All right, let's take a break here. So, in this next section, if we could, you are lucky and fortunate enough to stay at one of your mentors' house homestead, super off-grid, um, and it, it's a culmination of a lot of your ideas in practice. Talk a little bit about that, and then what are you going to carry on to make sure that you build in your uh, your homestead?
2: Well. We are currently singing in Tom Elpel's Hand Built Home. Um, if anybody doesn't know about his work, I would highly recommend it. He has a number of books. Um, from Natural Home Building, to Wild Foraging Foods, to Plant Identification, Botany in a Day. Um,
1: what else? Oh, Great Prosperity. Phil- such a great book. Yeah, of ideas definitely He's got
2: the Roadkill.
1: Yeah,
2: definitely an advocate for salvaging
1: roadkill. Yeah.
2: Uh, and salvaging
1: kind of anything, any waste from culture, yeah, like yeah. cultural waste. Yeah. That could right. be useful for whatever. Because a lot of his his uh, materials he used to build his house were like scraps and discards from other people, like, right. the, or
2: just the, the natural materials from BLM land. You know, yes. You actually do have to. So, yeah, he's actually on a six month. Canoe trip, which is inspiring in itself, and um, we were down very, the Missouri
1: River. Yeah. Very
2: fortunate to um, be offered the opportunity to uh, live and caretake his home, and, uh, hold everything down for the next six months. So
1: yeah, and even do some extra work to improve it too. We're building, mm. we're improving, and building fences. We're actually harvesting and cutting or. Gathering and cutting all of his firewood that he's going to need for the winter because he's coming back at the end of November and he's going right. to need to stay warm yeah. in these uh, really long Montana winters. Yeah. So, and contributing his uh, life, his
2: too. sheep.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, taking care of his sheep, and chickens.
0: Well, another place is garden. great use of space, uh, very cool because it's built right into the hillside.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: South facing, how he handles his hot water. Yeah. So, what are you going to take from there or ideas combined with what you already researched into your project?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest uh, benefit for us is, you know, we read the book that he wrote about this particular home, and we've studied a lot of other natural building techniques, um, you know. You mentioned situations. straw
0: bale. Or are you gonna probably try yeah, that?
2: Yeah, um, I've recently just actually been getting into the, uh, the nitty gritty parts of straw bale. Yeah, I've been I've been interested in straw bale as a concept oh God, just yeah. because I feel like from everything that I've read and um, you know like gauging the effort and workloads of different different types of building and exp- and expense. I feel like. Uh, Strawbill is just really high leverage for a number of reasons. It still is a lot of work, but compared to, you know, slip-form stone masonry, like most of Tom's house is built from, compared to cob, like completely cob building, it just seems like a lot less work. but still for, you know, um, really sturdy building, very fire-resistant, um, very insulative, like, there's a lot of uh, pros to straw bale building, so I'm just exploring that more right now on my own. Yeah. But also, the, uh, the opportunity we have right now is to really just kind of, Tom says in this book itself, and so many people who have built their own homes, you know, we built our own trailer. We can tell you, everyone can say, if I could go back, I would change different things. Some things work, some things, you know seemed like a good idea some things work really well some things i figured out along the way and we have the really valuable opportunity to kind of sample this yeah. without <clears throat> having the sweat equity put into it just to be able to see and there's a number of things like for one i you know we talked about it pretty extensively yesterday just the solar water heater as mm-hmm. a concept is so uh yeah really intriguing revolutionary to me. yeah <laughs> Something I definitely would like to incorporate into my life moving uh, forward for my hot water needs. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think a big like concept besides just the individual elements that we would imagine um, bringing into our future homestead. I think the the concepts, like the core concepts of what it's all going to revolve around, are really important too, and really like making the whole thing like designing it so that's very low maintenance so that we can leave so that we're not tied to it so that we don't become a slave to our homestead because i have seen that happen where people you know have this dream of you know getting a farm like homesteading this whole like homesteading concept and then what ends up happening is they create it in a way where it's really high maintenance it requires a lot of like continuous input on their parts and they feel kind of chained to it and they feel like Some people can become like almost resentful of this thing that they wanted for so long and feel like they don't have the freedom to travel or they don't have the freedom to all these different things. So creating something that's like with all of our design plans, um, having like a permaculture style, because permaculture is like a way of landscaping, a way of growing food that it's almost like you set it up so that it will sustain itself in the long term, so that it requires minimal inputs on your part and ends up like feeding back into itself repeatedly, like it's a closed loop where it feeds itself and you just kind of almost watch it happen after a while. It requires inputs at first, but you put in those initial inputs and then you kind of just step back and watch it do its thing.
2: It was really funny when he was showing us around the place, he we get to the chicken coop, which happens to be a straw bale structure just for the chickens. (laughs) Yeah. And um, he really, he just plainly said like, yeah, my strategy for dealing with the chickens is mostly neglect. (laughs) <laughs> they're okay they're just fine they're actually very productive laying eggs there's plenty of forage for them there's only free range mm-hmm. they make it into their coop on their own yeah. every night and actually he has it set up with a timed door so it shuts itself every yeah. night
0: mm-hmm.
2: Nickla, i'm okay with Nickla. yeah
0: they and, and the chickens eggs. know what that time is yeah, they yeah. and if they don't
1: well you know it's your life yeah, <laughs> exactly. they'll, they'll remember oh, yeah. the next day. They'll remember the next day, yeah. yeah. You just yeah, get used to the pattern, and then, yeah, yeah, so many people, like, you know, we've had experiences in the past, like, places we've lived in the past, like, where, you know, the landowners really just, without even realizing it, make life hard for themselves.
2: Uphill yeah. battles. Yeah. Make
1: uphill battles where there doesn't have to be that, where if you just think a little bit longer about something and really question your own... Kind of plans and like kind of impulsive um, little desires for something, then you can actually like make it way easier for yourself and not end up burning yourself out (laughs) just from trying to manage something that's actually like way just like inefficiently designed. It can be there can be there are better ways, and I feel like that's been our role in a lot of um, you know in some living situations we've been in in the past is to point out like. Easier ways to do things, like better, more efficient ways to do things, that are not only going to save energy, but they're actually going to be like ha- create better results. Hmm. So Hunter and I, like, we feel like we're both we have our minds work that way, where we we create we we're very in- interested in creating efficient systems, and we feel like we have that um, our brains work strategically in that way to create efficiency rather than unnecessary work, so that our energy can be freed up to. You know, like enjoy life, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. cultivate relationships, things that are you know essential human needs that people too often like um, deprive themselves of because they've they've uh, committed over committed themselves, they've overworked themselves because of bad planning and you know not um, yeah not good long term thinking. Cool.
0: Any final words for? Sheepdogs that are listening into your life and the direction you're going? Get in touch? We
1: yeah, for sure. We definitely we definitely would and like to meet new people. Yeah.
0: How do they get in touch with you? Um
1: well do
0: you wanna I mean, post a comment under the sheepdog sure? Here? Yeah, sure. that sounds great. And then that's
1: ourselves. a good way. We'll tag Baseball ourselves in the video. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll do that. In the podcast. Alright. Definitely.
0: Courtney, Hunter, thank you for having us. And <laughs> thank you. Thanks for time. visiting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Been a pleasure.